Here we are. Uh, it's the biggest question. I don't, maybe I'm different, but I think a lot of preachers go go through this thought process. Okay, the Easter Sunday's come and gone. So now where do we go? Like what 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 are we, what are we going to talk about next? It's not that we don't know. It's just the door is wide open to talk about just about anything in the scripture. I think I was thinking about Hebrews chapter Hebrews chapter 11. I was thinking about really all of Hebrews over the last week and when Jesus died on the cross, if you remember when he gave up his spirit, when he said it is finished and he died, you remember the description is that the curtain in the temple was torn in two and the temple actually fell, right? And what we know about that is that now because of Jesus' death and certainly because of his resurrection, turn it on, I'm off, I like it, I'm on, I'm off, turn this one on just in case, how about that? Can you hear me now? Can you hear me now? All right, we're talking about Jesus' resurrection and, and the access that it gives us to God. I think not only celebrating his death and resurrection as giving us proof that he is our Lord and our Savior, he's our hope, right, of eternal life, but it also opens the door to the throne of God. I wonder if we know how special that really is. I think we know, I think intellectually we know what a special thing it is to be able to just go to God anytime for any reason. Need or want, right? Isn't that great? If you're not seeing the value in that, then maybe we're a little too busy with life in this world if we're missing that. If we're, if we're kind of... If we're kind of just putting it on the shelf for later or for whenever we need it, we're kind of misunderstanding uh, what a great thing it is to be able to just go to the, the Father, our Creator, in all of His holiness and approach Him. I mean, I'm talking me and you and everyone listening are sinners. We've offended this holy God. We have no right to approach him for any reason except the blood of Christ. Except the death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord and Savior gives us the right to approach him. That's what God has always wanted. If you look at Genesis chapter 3, you can read the uh, 2 and 3, we can read the creation. When he created the world and he created Adam and Eve, he created all of that so he could have a relationship with these people. Right? I walked with him and I talked with him. Remember that old hymn? It's a, it's a powerful hymn. Why is it a powerful hymn? Because it talks about the fact that God wants to have a relationship with us. God wants to talk to you. He wants you to listen to him. He wants to hear from you. He wants to listen to you. He wants to have this conversation, this lifelong conversation with me and you. Look at chapter 4 of verse 26 of Genesis. Uh, the last part of that verse says, At that time men began to call on the name of the Lord. This is right after uh, Cain killed Abel. And 
Adam and Eve begin to have other kids. Right? And it says, this is the time when men began to call on the Lord. Adam and Eve had sinned against God. God uh, confronted them on it. Made a promise that he would fix the problem. And then kicked them out of the garden. You cannot be in my presence because now you have sinned against me. You've offended me. And now you're covered with this wickedness. And you can't be in my presence because I'm holy. So get out. I remember uh, when my son was in high school, he threatened to run away because he was mad at me. I said, don't forget your battery charger for your wheelchair. You might need it. And some of y'all are like, you can't say that to a kid in a wheelchair. Well, I'm his dad. I have to say stuff like that. Because I loved him enough to let him know that that ain't going to work. And you can't live here and, and not follow the rules. The same was true for Adam and Eve. The same is true for me and you. I didn't want him to leave. I, didn't want, I certainly didn't want him to be out in the world on his own when he was barely 16 probably. You know? But at the same time, I had to do what I had to do. God had to do what he had to do. And it was a short time after when in, 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 in this last sentence of chapter 4 of Genesis, it says, at, at that time, men began to call on the name of the Lord. Ever since that time, men have been calling on the name of the Lord. People have been talking to God. Isn't it great to know that even in our wickedness, even in our sinful state, God still communicated with us. He's still calling out to us. He's still talking to people who will listen. And he's still listening to people who will talk. I want to talk about prayer for the next several weeks because I think it's the most crucial part of our daily walk with God. Yeah, there's outreach, there's preaching, there's singing, there's caring for the neighbors, getting involved with the things that go on in the world so that God would be glorified, all this making disciples stuff. It's all important, and it's all what God wants us to be about. But if we never go to God and talk to Him about any of it, none of it matters. And that includes the work of the church. That includes the body of Christ as a whole around the world. It includes your home. Your family life. Your personal life. Your work life. How are your children ever going to know how to talk to God if they don't see you talk to God? I don't, I don't know, this, this happens quite often, and it, it really doesn't offend me, and it doesn't really bother me. It's just something I notice, that whenever the preacher's in a crowd of people and it's time to eat, guess who gets asked to pray? Everybody else talks to God. Why does it always have to be? I love to pray, so I will always do it. But it's always nice when another believer steps up and says, I'll lead everybody in, the, in a conversation with the Lord. It's a sign of spiritual health, isn't it? When you know God that well that you talk to him. You're not afraid to talk to him. You're not afraid to go to him with anything. You know how to talk to him. You know when to talk to him. You know how not to talk to him. How do we learn how not to talk to God? 
He'll let you know. If you're in tune with God, He will let you know. Right? Look at this right here. James chapter 5 and, and Hebrews chapter uh, 11 are two places you can go and, and just see how people talk to God. Uh, James chapter 5 is where it says, The prayer of a righteous man availeth much. You want powerful prayers? You want your prayers to be meaningful? You want some results from your prayer time, from the time that you talk to God? You need to have a righteous standing before Him. In other words, you need to be in Christ. You need to be repentant of your sin. doesn't mean you can't sin ever. It doesn't mean you have to be perfect. It means that when you sin, you're in tune with His Holy Spirit, which convicts us, and we get it right. How do we get it right? We go to God and we talk to Him about it. Lord, I failed again. I've sinned. And we ask for forgiveness once again. We go before the throne of God, covered by the blood of Christ, and God offers His forgiveness because He's faithful. That's the prayer of a righteous man or woman. A prayer of a righteous man or woman is one who pays attention to the Holy Spirit, one who lives their life for Christ. They're all about the business of making disciples, the kingdom work. Everything about us is about honoring God. Everything about what we do and say and how we play, how we work, how we sleep, how we eat, how we argue, how we disagree, how we handle our emotions. Everything is to honor God. Jesus said to the disciples, one day I'm going to leave you and I'm going to uh, uh, give you another counselor. And this counselor is going to be there to help you, to lead you to guide you, to teach you, and remind you, rebuke you. Go into the world and make disciples, and I'll go with you, is what, is what he said. I'm trying to make the point that we're never alone. We're always with God. God is always with us. We're together. I don't know about you, but it is a long trip when you're taking a trip with somebody you don't want to talk to. And you're just sitting there riding with a whole other person in a vehicle and you don't never talk to each other. It's pretty awkward, actually. There's a lot of Christians, people who really believe that Jesus is a Christ. And they may have repented and committed their life to Christ and been baptized. But since that moment, they don't spend a lot of time talking to God. And He's right there. How on earth... Can we ever go a day without talking to the one who sent Jesus to die so that we can be in his presence? About anything. How can we get, how can we get so busy with life that we don't do anything to acknowledge his presence in our life? You know, like say hello. Thank you. What's next? Right? That's James chapter 5. Hebrews chapter 11 is what, where, we, where we know what faith is, right? The first verse of chapter 11 tells us, here's what faith is. And then it gives us a bunch of examples of people of faith, people who believed God. Well, here's what you have to do to believe God. You have to communicate with Him first. You need to talk to Him, and He needs to talk to you, and information has to be shared, and then you get to choose whether you believe it or not. All them people in Hebrews chapter 11... They had one thing in common, two things. One, they heard from God. And they talked to Him. 
And the second thing is they believed God. Those people, if you read chapter 11 of Hebrews, those people, God told them and led them and sent them to do some crazy things. He, just, he came to Abraham and said, hey, I want you to pack up your family and go that way. And I'll tell you, I'll tell you when you get there, where you're going. And what did Abraham do? Packed up his family and went that way and waited for God to talk to him again and talk to God on the way. He also told Abraham, uh, in the morning, I want you to get up, take your son up on the mountain, and I want you to offer him up as a sacrifice. I want you to cut him open and kill him as a sacrifice to me because you love me and you want to worship me. That's what I want you to do. And the Bible that I read tells me that Abraham got up early the next morning to go do that, what he didn't want to do. You want to do something for the Lord? You want to be involved in the kingdom? You want, to be, uh, you want to be a part of what God is doing and a part of changing people's lives for Christ and being a blessing to the world and preaching the gospel or whatever it is that you have in your heart and your mind? You have to talk to God. And you have to listen to God. And you have to follow God. You have to pray. You have to be a person of prayer. These people talked with God on a regular basis and they believed God on a regular basis and then they put their feet on the ground and did what God led them to do. All because they communicated with God. They had a relationship with God. Relationships don't work if there's no communication. Anybody who's married should be saying amen right now. And, and don't, don't think that if your marriage ain't working that you shouldn't say amen because you know that what happens when, it, when you don't communicate. If you've if you got a great marriage, that's because you communicate. Talk and listen. That's what God has laid out. That's what Jesus died for. Jesus died so that we could have access to the Father because he wants that for us. Disconnected from God is what hell is all about. Right? Not being in the presence of God or the absence of God is what hell is all about. Why would we want that? Why would God want that for us? He didn't create us for that reason. He created man so that he could have a relationship with them. Then they messed it up and he went and fixed it. We say we believe in that solution. So let's live like we believe in that solution. I thank God every day that he's with me and that he's available to me. And I ask his strength and his courage and his wisdom so that I could be available to him. So that I can do my part to make the relationship what he wants it to be. Not what I want it to be, but what he wants it to be. Y'all are like, man, you're going to have to get to some scripture because you're doing a lot of talking. Okay. How about First uh, John chapter 5? First John chapter 5 in verse 14 and 15 says, This is the confidence that we have. Look, the confidence that we have in approaching God. Hello? That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Hello? And if we, and if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we have asked of him. I see the error there. I see the spelling error. I love to read scripture like this. Not because it means I can get whatever I want from God. Because it doesn't mean that. It means that I can approach God with confidence. 
Okay? If you know anything about royalty or kingship or living in such uh, an atmosphere, no one approaches a king unless the king calls for them. Don't dare approach a king without being called or summoned. When Jesus went to the cross, gave up his life to pay for the sins of man, that was the king, God, the Father, summoning the people to come to him. Remember, he kicked Adam and Eve out of the garden and said, look, y'all got to go. This can't happen. Not because it was because he was angry with them, but it was for their own good. He knew that they can't survive in his holiness because of their sin. Now he's saying, now come home. Now come back because everything is made right now because of the blood of Christ. Everything is made proper. Everything is restored. Now you can come home. Flicking that light switch for those of us who are old enough to know what that means. (laughs) God is calling us to enter into a relationship with him. Not after we die, not after we leave this world, right now. Right now. Even before we accept Jesus as Lord and Savior, we can talk to him. Here's how I know. Because before I was ever saved, I knew that God existed. I knew that he was real. I knew all about Jesus and his death, burial, and resurrection. Just never put the connection together as how it related to me and why it was important to me. Not because nobody told me, it was because I didn't care back then. I was busy working on my own kingdom. But I did talk to God. Randomly. But I never expected him to talk back to me. Because I didn't know him. I didn't know how things work. I didn't know what he had done. I didn't know anything about God and his, his Bible or anything about how things work with him. And it got to be, he was drawing me closer and closer to him getting me closer and closer to where he's softening, softening me to receive some truth and consider some different things. And it was one day, this is just one example, one day I was playing softball back when I could. And I played like three games a night, almost every night of the week after I got off of work. I was out there all the time. I'd play on the team I was supposed to play on, and then somebody else would be short, so I'd play another game before we left. I was there till like midnight. And because I was, back in those days, I was spry and pretty quick. I could hit the ball all the way to the fence and make it to third base before the guy, the outfitter, would ever get the ball. I'm not, I'm not bragging. I'm just saying those guys were slow. <laughs> well, all I know is there was one of my teammates was, like, doing this. If you know anything about baseball, they're standing on third base going like this right here. And what that means is to the runner, that means don't stop here. You keep right on rolling. So I, I come around third, and I was going to hit. Uh, I was just going to run straight through the, the home, home plate and have uh, a home run and everything. And here's the catcher. Look, look, y'all. The catcher's standing here like this with his glove. And I'm just running straight at him. And I'm think, in my mind, I'm thinking, surely he's going to move out of my way. And you guys are like, why would you think that? I'm like, because the ball hasn't got to him yet. And if I'm the catcher and I'm not going to get the ball and I know it, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to just stand there and get run over without having the ball. I'm telling y'all, I got one step from putting my foot on the home plate and that ball hit that boy's glove. I was like, oh, this is about to be bad because I didn't slide nothing. 
If I thought the ball was that close, I probably would have did something to slide. Out, so I, we wouldn't. I hit that guy. I saw the sky. And then I saw the ground. And then I saw the sky. And then I saw the ground. Next thing I know, I'm laid up against a fence behind the plate. That's how all that happened. And the umpire walks over to me and he looks down and he's like, if you'd have slid, I'd have called you safe, but you didn't slide, so you're out. I was like, tag on. So I get up and I walk over to the dugout and I played third base back then. Walk over to the dugout. That was the third out and we were on the third base side. So I got my glove, walk out to third base. By the time I get out to third base, our pitcher's getting ready to pitch the first pitch and I'm like, I can't be out here. Because there was this excruciating pain going down my leg all around my knee. And I hadn't felt it. It was like took that long for the pain to start coming. It was my, my knee was getting, I mean, I couldn't stand there. I couldn't even fake it anymore. I was like, I look at my wife sitting in the dugout, keeping scoring. I'm like, I, gotta, I, gotta, I, can't, I can't stand out here. So I, I called timeout and I told the pitcher, I was like, I got to go sit down. I couldn't even make it up the stairs when I got to the house. Next thing I know, I'm at the doctor's office. Next thing I know, I'm having surgery. Next thing I know, I'm like three months laid up in the bed with my knee swelled up. And that was all the softball playing there was. Why am I telling that story? Because that was three months of me laying in the bed trying to figure out what I'm going to do with my life. Because I was always working construction. I was working warehouses. I was working lumber yard. I was doing anything I can do to pay the bills. And all of those jobs were good jobs, but they didn't pay enough to pay the bills because I was always the low man on the totem pole. I was always getting paid the minimum of what everybody else was getting paid. So I decided I, while I'm laid up in this bed, I'm going to learn how, I'm going to teach myself how to drive a truck. Right? So I started reading books, started looking at stuff, looking at the laws and all that. Finally got to the point where I was rehabbed enough to walk and I went and got my CDL driver's license, and nobody would hire me. Everywhere I went, they tell me, what makes you think we're going to give you a $50,000, $60,000 piece of equipment to ride down the road if you don't have no experience? That was what they told me. And bills were stacking up because I hadn't been working. And I was, one day I got in my car, and I said, I said, Lord, I don't know what to do. I want a truck driving job because I know I can make some money driving a truck, but I need a job today. So whatever, whatever you show me today, that's what I'm going to do. That's the, way, that's the way I talked to God back then. And I wasn't saved. I didn't go to church. I didn't do nothing as far as a relationship with God. I drive not even a mile down the road from my house, and there's this trucking company. Got this big, gigantic, I mean large, took up the whole property, white banner, says, now hiring drivers. Of course, back then, I, was, I didn't know nothing about God. I'm like, ooh, there's a sign. <laughs> it was a sign. <laughs> but I was telling myself, that's a sign right there. So I pull into place. I walk in there, and I fill out an application. I said, I need to talk to whoever's in charge of this place. And I went into the man's office, and I told him, I said, whatever I got to do to start driving a truck is what I want to do. If that means I got to load these trucks first and work my way into it, that's what I'll do, but I need a job. Next thing I know, he's hiring me. I'm working the midnight shift, making way more money than I've ever made in my life, just loading trucks. And within six months, I'm out there moving trailers around. And then about a year later, I'm driving a truck for that company. I'm still not saved. 
but I called on God. I didn't know that God was going to ask me for that job back just a few years later. Because that's about the time when he called me to preach. Because that's, I mean, I, I, was, I was making okay money. I was, I was handling the bills then, and I was doing something I really loved. And the Lord said to me one day, he's like, look, you can keep driving the truck, and you can kill, still be saved, and you can still honor me and make disciples if you want to, but I want you to preach. So here we are. All because I talked to God. Not because I'm special. So was it a sign from God or not on the side of that fence? It was a sign, wasn't it? <laughs> I say it was a sign from God, but it was just some company hiring truck drivers. But I had to work my way into it, and while I was doing it, the Lord took care of me and my family. Another thing I'll tell you is every one of you are an answer to my prayers. Right? I talk to God all the time about my ministry, about what I do for him, about what he wants me to do for him, about what he wants me to do for y'all, about what the future of this church is going to be like. I talk to him all the time. I try to listen to him all the time. I know y'all are talking to him all the time. Every time I turn around, somebody else shows up in this church. It's an answer to the prayers. It's an answer to the conversation. It's more, more things are going to happen. I'm telling you, this church has got things going on that God's doing. And he's telling us all the time what they're going to be. And if we don't react to what he's saying and just go over there and wait for him to tell us where to go while we're going, then we're not going to be, we're not going to be, we're not going to be able to make disciples the way he wants us to. We have to be a praying church. I don't mean just get the prayer list and say prayers over that. That's what we need to do too, but that's not what I mean. We need to be a church praying about the direction, praying about the future, praying about the people, praying about those who might be involved and how they're going to get involved. Pray about our neighbors. There's some people that live right within eyesight of here that are going to be valuable to this church in the future. And we need to ask God what to do about that. And we need to listen to God as he guides us in that way. I want to show you the power of prayer, and here we are in, in, where we're going to get into a lot of Scripture. Look at Acts chapter 12. And then I'm going to try to wrap it up. Okay. I'll try. Acts chapter 12. King Herod. That guy. Verse 1. Let me just read through it real quick and then I'll talk about it a little bit. It was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church. Intending to persecute them. Nothing surprising there. Verse 2 he says... It says he had, he had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. Killed him for being a part of the church. Look what it says in verse 3. When he saw that this pleased the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. Like, ah, y'all like that, didn't you? Let me, let's do some more of that stuff. So Peter gets arrested now. This happened during the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Verse 4, after arresting him, he put him in prison, handing him over to be guarded by what? Four squads of four soldiers each. That's a lot of guys for, for one guy, Peter. Herod intended to bring him out, in, out for public trial after the Passover. We all know how they do their trials, right? When they're trying to get rid of the church. 
when they're kind of trying to get rid of Jesus. There's nothing legal about He's going to bring him out in public to kill him, just like he did the other ones. Look, here it is in verse 5. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. The church. The believers. His fellow disciples. Remember what happened when Jesus got arrested? Everybody ran off. They were like, oh, we, we, we didn't sign up for this. We got to get out of here. We might get arrested too. But look, things have changed a little bit. Now Peter's arrested and they're not running off. They're gathering together and what? Going to God in prayer. Isn't that amazing? Not only just putting him on the prayer list at the church. That's not, that's, they didn't just do that. Certainly he was on a prayer list, but there's kind of a problem here. It says they were earnestly praying to God. Ask yourself, have I ever earnestly prayed to God? Ask yourself, what does it even mean to earnestly pray for God? I can tell you that I've been there. I've been there over the church, over the work of the church, over salvation of myself and others. I've been there in hardship, confusing times. I've been there. I've been there when, when things are just rough and there's a lot of pressure and I just need some relief every now and then. Right? I've been there over folks in the church that don't seem to understand and they want to attack the preacher and the leaders make things difficult for the church. Not really because they're bad people, but just because they got problems or they're in sin or whatever the case. And you can't just react to them because you're the preacher and you're supposed to honor God with the way you do everything. There's sometimes when the preacher just wants to react in a certain way that just wouldn't be beneficial to nobody. If I'm being real with you guys, it's not because the preacher don't like people, it's just because the preacher loves God and he's trying to work hard. Sometimes that happens between folks in the church, too, and it's hard. We have to earnestly pray. That means we go to God and plead with him and lay down the truth of our hearts on the table. Too many people go to God and they, they have this list that they've made out and they slap it on the table before God and they walk off. Let me know when you get done with that, God, and they walk off. Do you all think that's an appropriate way to approach God? No. No, that's not the way it works. I think, here's what I think, and I'm going to finish reading this. I think God wants us to approach him about the work of the kingdom always. And I think he wants us to bring our burdens and our sorrows and our heartaches to him so that he can deal with those things. And he wants us to bring our repentance also so that all of that stuff gets out of the way of distracting us from the work of the kingdom. That's what I think. Right? Because if we're worried about Uncle Joe's bad toenail, we can't make disciples because we're focused on that too much. Not that we shouldn't care about that. We need to be about the Lord's business. Verse 6 says, The night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers. Ain't that some peace in your heart? You're in jail, you're about to be killed, and you're taking a nap. Between the people that are guarding you. That's what happens when you spend time with God. You get that kind of peace. Bound, he was bound with two chains and 
Sentries stood guard at the entrance. So he's got all these guards around him, and then there's guards at the entrance. Suddenly, look, 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 an angel of the Lord appeared, and a light sh shone in the cell. Y'all ain't going to believe what's about to happen. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up. So the glory of God lit up the room, and he's still asleep. That's how peaceful he was sleeping. God help us all to get that kind of rest when we need it, right? It says he struck him on the side. Had to hit the boy to wake him up. Hey! And it says the chains fell off of Peter's, fell off of Peter's wrist. Then the angel said to him, put on your clothes and sandals. Why do you put on your clothes and your sandals, y'all? You're fixing to go somewhere. So Peter did that. If an angel hits me in the side while I'm sleeping, I'm going to do whatever he says. He said, follow me. Verse 9 says, Peter followed him out of the prison, but he had no idea what the angel was doing, that what the angel was doing was really happening. He thought he was seeing a vision. He thought he was dreaming. He thought God was showing him something. No, God was doing something. Verse 10 says, they passed the first and second guards, just walked right by them, and came to the iron gate leading, leading to the city. And look, it, it opened for them by itself. And they went through it. When they had walked the length of one street, suddenly the angel just left. So you go to bed. You're all chained up in prison. Got guards all around you. You pretty much expect to wake up the next morning the same way. And you expect to be killed. Next thing you know, he's standing out in the street free. Miraculously free, by the way. And don't think, I mean, this is, this is a historical account, y'all. This is not just some made-up story. And I'm going to let you know, the God that we're reading about here is the same God we serve today. And when we talk to God, He responds in the same ways. God can make things happen whichever way God wants to make them happen. That's why we go to God over the sicknesses in our lives. That's why we go to God over the hardship of our lives. That's why, that's why we go to God when our children are falling away and can't, we can't get them back. And we don't know what to do. Because they're lost in whatever the world is throwing at them. You got, you got, you got children and grandchildren that are getting ready to be exposed to some wicked, wicked stuff in this world. And if we don't know how to earnestly pray for them, we're in trouble. Because if we think we're going to protect them for that, if we think we're going to lead them away from that and this, everything's just going to be fine because we read the Bible to them and we tell them what's right and wrong, but we don't never pray for them, and we don't teach them how to pray for themselves, pray for each other, that's why youth group is so important in the church. That's why children's ministry is so important in the church. It's not just babysitting kids. We've got to prepare them for what's coming. We've got to prepare them for what we've what we, what we got coming down the road. We've got to teach them how to talk to God. We've got to teach them how to tap into the most powerful thing in existence. Every time I feel like somebody might leave this church, there's a little part of me that gets worried and trying to figure out what am I going to do to make it not happen. And then the Spirit of the Lord says to me, that's for me to deal with. You just keep loving people and keep serving. 
Every time I think somebody's giving up on the Lord, I get the same feeling. What, I, what can I do to make it? What, what can I do to make that stop? It's God's job. What can I do? I can earnestly pray for those people. I can take them to the Lord in prayer if they'll let me. I've had people tell me when I offer to pray for them, I had people so mad about whatever they said, "No, we don't need to pray. I don't want to pray with you anymore." Isn't that sad? It's a scary thing to be in that place. They're not bad people. They're just in the dark. Satan has got them so wrapped up in the darkness they can't see. So we need to pray. We need to be a praying church. Everything needs to be soaked in prayer. The church earnestly prayed, it said. All of that, what we just read, happened because the church earnestly prayed. I want y'all to go home and read the rest of that account because later on the, the people uh, met Peter out, in the, in the, out of prison and they ran home and told everybody and they were like, nuh-uh. <laughs> you didn't see Peter, no way. They were earnestly praying for God to do something. God did something and they still didn't believe it. Let's not be those people. I'm going to finish up with this point right here. Life has a way of reminding us that there's no place to go but God. If you don't believe me, ask any family who's ever been at the hospital wondering if their family member's ever going to come out of there. I don't know how many times I've been in a hospital waiting room or hospital room or parking lot or whatever, earnestly praying with a family for our will to be God's will. Because it's hard to say, if we just pray, this person will get better. Because we know that doesn't always work that way. It's not always God's will. It is proper to ask for healing. It's proper to ask for God's intervention in our problems. It's proper to ask for the things that this church asked for Peter, right? It's proper for those things to go be brought to God. That's why 1 John is such a powerful verse that we just read. If we pray for God's will, then what we pray will come to be. How do we know what God's will is? How do we get in tune with God and His will? We talk to Him. We walk with Him. We listen to Him. We read His Word. We ask Him questions. We let Him tell us things that we need to do. We, we make the changes that we need to make. We respond. We have a relationship. We pray. That's how, that's how we know what his will is. If, if, you, if you wait for life to happen and then you start opening up this Bible and trying to figure out what scripture fits the situation, you're way behind the, the, uh, the curve there and you're not going to make it. We read this Bible, we study this Bible, we talk to God on a regular basis so that when life happens, we have the resource that we need to survive and persevere and overcome. That's the power of prayer. Because when life happens and it's bigger than you, it's obvious. Some things happen that you, you, you have no way to change. You have no control. The only way to know what to do and how to survive and how to overcome is to know God. The only way to know God is to be in prayer always 
I'm going to read Psalm 139. And we'll close with this. It's a good, it's a good psalm to read. Pretty powerful words. I'm going to read the whole thing. It's 24 verses. David wrote these words, and I, I just think that they're good words for us to ponder on every, every day as we think about our relationship with God and our communication with God and how strong our prayer life is and how much we can grow into a, a better prayer life. Here's David's communication with, with God in, in Psalm 139. O oh Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise, you perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my, go my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my, on my tongue, you know it completely, O oh Lord. You hem me in be behind and before. You have laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side, of the sea, even there your hand will guide me, your right hand will hold me fast. Verse 11, if I say, surely the darkness will hide me, and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, and the darkness as is, is as light to you. For you created my inmost being, you knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. Verse 15, my frame is not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, O oh God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I am still with you. If only you would slay the wicked, O oh God, away from me, your, you bloodthirsty men. They speak of you with evil intent. Your adversaries misuse your name. Verse 21, do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord, and, and, and abhor those who rise up against you? I have nothing but hatred for them. I count them my enemies. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there are, is any offense, offensive way in me and lead me in the way of everlasting. Isn't that great? Are, are we at the place where we understand just how much God knows about us? Just how deep God knows us? 
And then we, the Scripture that we've looked at today, the, the Scripture that we can read anywhere in the Bible tells us that God wants to be with us and us with Him. So much so that Jesus would come and die on a cross like He did. Anyone who's ever lost a loved one will understand will understand what it means. To want to talk to somebody you can't talk to. Are we not glad that we can talk to our Father? Are we not overjoyed that God has given us total access to Him? Without Jesus on the cross, that's the way it would be. Never again to be able to see or talk to our Father, our Lord, our Creator. God wants to hear from you about your life. About your personal life, your family's life. God wants to hear from us as Oak Grove Christian Church believers about the ministry that we do here for Him. He wants us to check with Him about everything we do. He wants us to seek His guidance about everything we decide. He wants us to love everybody that comes in those doors. We need to ask Him how to do those things. We need to be prepared to go when He says go. We need to be prepared to wait when He says wait. If we're going to be about the Lord's business here at Oak Grove, we need to be people of prayer. And I don't just mean prayer over the meals, and I don't just mean Praying during the times of worship, I'm talking about people who talk to God all the time, earnestly. And I thank God that I believe all of you talk to God. I believe all of you want to know God more and more. We need to continue to grow into being a church of prayer, people of prayer prayer that makes a difference in someone else's life over the next several weeks we're going to talk more about prayer next week we're going to talk about the power of prayer we talked about it a little bit today but next week we're going to talk about the power the power of god's ear the power of our heart the power of our words you see jesus gave us this holy spirit that has the same authority of jesus and the father that means when we say something to God, it has an effect in the world. When we preach the gospel, it should have an effect in the hearts and the minds of people around us. When we come before God and we say we believe that Jesus is the Christ and we don't want to be sinners anymore, we don't want to offend God anymore, when we do that, it's a powerful thing. When we accept His grace, we're baptized for the forgiveness of our sins, which is what God's laid out for us to do. We receive forgiveness, we receive the Holy Spirit, we receive access to the one who loves us more than we can ever imagine. Right?
Let's not waste it, y'all. Let's stand together. We're going to sing a song of invitation. If you have a decision to make for the Lord, you don't know the Lord, now's the day. Now's the day. If you do know the Lord, let's sing our songs to him because we've been invited. You ready? I love you and the Lord loves you. Let's sing together.